All right, everyone, welcome to our first session of the Next Generation Customer Experience Virtual Summit for the month of September. Uh, we are kicking off with a fireside chat this morning with David Surdy, who is the COO and CCO of Pizza Hut Europe, which is a division of Yum Brands. We're going to be talking a little bit about, um, you know, everyone's favorite topic, the, the pandemic, um, and talking a little bit about crisis management, talking about, um, you know, how the coronavirus has, you know, shifted consumer behaviors, what we're looking for in the new normal. Um, and, you know, David's going to talk us through a little bit about, um, you know, how everything went down at, at Pizza Hut Europe. But before we jump into the questions, I'm going to have him introduce himself. So David, welcome. We're super happy to have you here with us. Give us a little bit of, of info on, on your background. Uh, good morning. Thanks, Elizabeth. Yes, so uh, great to join you this morning for this uh, this chat. I've been with uh, with the Young Brands for about 13 years now, um, worked around the world, the Middle East, uh, Asia, and, and back into uh, Europe about a year and a half ago. So really excited to to be here and obviously a very interesting uh, you know year we've had so far. So yeah, looking forward to sharing that with you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, so, you know, when we're looking at something like this pandemic, uh, obviously it tested everyone's strength as, as a business, um, everyone's willingness to be super customer centric and, and make quick decisions. Um, when it comes to your company, how prepared do you think you all were for what happened? Sure, good question. Um, I mean, as as prepared as one could ever be, right? And I think no one, no one really saw this coming. I think we were, we were fortunate for a few reasons. One is we had a significant delivery business anyway. So that kind of lent itself into, you know, people isolating, staying at home. But I think more than that, we had done two things in the, the, the preceding probably six months, which had helped us. One is we were coming to the end of a deployment of some, some uh, pretty smart technology within our stores, which was allowing us to do smart production and then really smart delivery logistics. Um, and this really helped us as the, you know, as the crisis hit and we saw these additional volumes come through as everyone was obviously staying at home. Um, and that allowed us to do far more with far less. And we could, you know, really handle that extra volume that was coming in and we could, uh, you know, we could meet customer expectations, etc. So that, that, I think, deployment of that technology that, you know, leading up to this had been really fortuitous. It, it, it kind of uh, put us in a pretty good space, uh, all things told, going into it from a just in terms of handling what was happening. I think as, as a key enabler, we had also had, a, I guess, a look at our business and, and really decided to double down on the cultural side of it. So we were doing a lot with technology, but at the same time, we we're saying, well, you know, that's an enabler, but the real, you know, the real multiplier is, cult is culture. And, you know, it's, I guess, that eternal question of do you take the world's best strategy or the world's best culture? Um, and whereas I think we, we, we thought we had the right strategy, you know, having the right culture where you've got thousands and thousands of people trying to solve the problems on a day-to-day -day basis, pulling in the same direction, is always going to be more effective than a strategy that's put together by a handful of people, right? So we had done a lot of work on, on that, and that had brought our franchise community closer and our stores, which meant that when we were in this high, um, this time of, you know, quite a lot of turbulence and needing to make a lot of decisions, we were able to uh, we were able to move largely as one system and 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 work together quite effectively to to overcome what were just daily uh, challenges that were arising. 
That's great. And I know that was sort of what you were going to be talking about at our live event, that marriage of technology and people. So I'm glad we got to cover that a little bit here today yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, this was the real live example of, of testing that, you know, indeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, talked a little bit about how, how you guys were sort of well-prepared, I would imagine probably a little bit more well-prepared than, than some other businesses. Were there any ways that you felt that you weren't prepared? Any sort of little unpleasant things that came up that, you know, maybe were areas that weren't as ready for something like this and, um, you know, maybe some of the ways that you've tried to overcome those, those early challenges? Yeah, sure. So I think our, our businesses, you know, they're obviously, um, you know, uh, you know, specifically our delivery outlets are not extremely huge and you've got a lot of people working quite closely back of house. So that that immediately brought some challenges because obviously the, the well-being of our team members was was our number one priority, our first priority. Um, but also it was around what do we do during that time, right? Because there were a lot of businesses were closing and in consultation with, with the government, we, we decided to stay open because you know, a reliable food source and one that's delivered was was required, right? And a varied one that. So we so we made the decision to to stay open, but obviously, you know, this was not an easy decision as a lot of uh, businesses were closing, and you know, we had our teams to think of. So I think the probably the one area that we we needed to get our arms around quite quickly was what was the purpose, right? Why were we staying open? Um, and it very clearly came became clear that this was really around how we were going to serve our communities during this time. Um, because it was a crisis that was happening, and you know we, um, you know we needed to play a responsible role, and not just a commercial role during that time. You know, and it was really around how do we help people stay at home and isolate? How do we, um, how do we support our health service? So the NHS in the UK is obviously quite big, and you know I think over the, the course of four months we delivered I don't know what it was maybe three hundred thousand meals to to frontline workers, etc. Now the key to all of this really was around bringing the, the the teams together to understand what we were doing and giving that that purpose which really helped people navigate and help people make decisions during that time as well, right? Um, and you, there were some examples of it. I saw something on social media where, um, where a, you know, a, a customer had tried to order from another chain and have a delivery to a hospital, and the chain had, uh, had declined it because obviously the hospital was a high-risk area. Uh, they phoned one of our branches, and the manager unprompted you know, took the order but then also delivered it free. Now, that kind of difference in behavior, I mean, we can't – we can't be there directing everybody making all of these decisions. It was around how do we define that purpose, which was then going to, you know, guide people through this and make the decision, right? So I think in the first couple of weeks, that's really what we, we spent our time getting our, you know, our arms and heads around and, 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 and working with our, our teams to kind of bring them along with that journey, right? And, and to understand that, that the role that they were playing during that time was, uh, was obviously a hugely important one. And, and then I guess once that was in place, it allowed us to, to kind of have a, a true north and a lot of the decisions we were making were obviously not commercial ones, but rather about how do we, how do we fulfill that role in a meaningful way. Absolutely. That's a, a big point where I think, um, you know, the voice of the customer, if you weren't paying attention to it before, it was something immediately that you just had to, had to get behind, you know, people that were super operational focused just kind of had to pivot to being, way more customer focused because those were, you know, the people that, that sort of mattered in that moment. So to that end, next question we wanted to talk a little bit about was um, what 
sort of changes in customer behavior did you see? And not necessarily just the obvious ones, right? People needed to stay home. So yeah. you know, that, that was sort of an obvious one. But um, you know, any other ways that you saw consumer behavior shift and what were some of the things that you guys tried to do to, to accommodate those, those changes? Mm, sure. Yeah, I mean, there were some really rapid shifts that, that happened at that time. I mean, I'll start with an obvious one, um, if you'll allow me, and then get into something probably a little bit nuanced for us. I mean, obviously, the, the move online and the move to digital, I mean, I'm sure this is something that's been seen in, in all industries, you know, where, um, you know, people who, who weren't necessarily adopters of ordering online or, or, or like an e-commerce-based interaction, through necessity and otherwise, you know, across all age spectrums, we saw we saw a move in that uh, in that regard, right? So, so obviously that was that was key. We had to make sure that we catered for that. We had a fairly high online, uh, especially in our delivery business. We had a high online, uh, you know, sales mix already. So we were probably quite well positioned for that. I think what we saw more was around our um, our. Kind of our customers, the purchase decisions previously were, were really centered around two things. And that was speed and taste. And those are, you know, very basic, but, you know, once you, once you really nailed those and, and, and um, were effective in speed and, and, and delivered a great tasting product, that would drive repurchase intent and everything else. Very quickly, there was another, there was another consideration that came before all of that, and that was really around safety. Mm. And now... You know, all of the usual levers we had for, you know, engagement with customers and, and driving, uh, you know, purchase intent, et cetera, now had shifted significantly. And the answer we thought for, uh, you know, having looked at it, that the answer to the, the safety question was really one around building trust. Absolutely. And, yeah. So I think probably a lot of a lot of what we did was around the trust. You know, what were our credentials as a brand with the well-established food, um, you know, food safety procedures, et cetera. But then also, how do we build on that? How do we find new ways to make an experience, uh, you know, a trust uh, one that consumers could trust in? And then technology played its role in that, obviously, in being able to order um, in the dining in the dining environment. When those restaurants started reopening, we had uh, our dining partners moved very quickly to get a bring your own device going. Um, so the customers were ordering on their own devices while sitting in the restaurant. And we saw huge uh, uptake in that. Probably, I mean, that probably moved adoption forward on that maybe two or three years. Um, right, so that was quite a big one. Absolutely, yeah. That's that's crazy. It is crazy that um, you know some some things that people had in their their pipelines in every industry. There's pieces of technology that institutions had in their pipelines that they were thinking we're going to get to this in probably two to three years, or, you know, we've instituted something, but it's taking a little bit of time for customers to adopt. It was just like, bam, well, <laughs> it's exactly. happening right now. <laughs> exactly. And you know, what would have been, so the, the two or three years that I was referring to is probably the, the consumer adoption to it, but to get this rolled out, you're right, would have been maybe what, six to eight months. And there would have been uh, all manner of uh, committees and subcommittees and testing and going back and forth and so forth. But that, that necessity of just, we need to get this done in four weeks, um, which I think surprised everyone. I think we've, you know, in, in similar conversations you and I have had, we've seen how almost every industry has just moved a lot quicker than, than they ever did before and, and necessity being that. I mean, another great example was a virtual drive-through that we brought in. So, so then, you know, we could use technology for that. Their customers didn't have to get out of their cars. You know, obviously the, the assets weren't necessarily drive-through assets, but if they had, you know, uh, you know um, parking bays or whatever out front, then we would, customers could arrive. We could track when they arrived, bring the pizza directly to them. So they didn't have to get out and they didn't have to interact with, uh, with anybody else. So that kind of removing that friction, 
again, something that probably would have been, I don't know, a 12 month project that got done in a matter of weeks. Yeah. Absolutely. Was there any other um, pieces of, of technology, whether it be customer facing or even back of house that you needed to sort of implement quickly in order to, to make sure the customer was getting that experience they were used to? Um, I, like I said, I think we were, we were quite well situated for this before because we had a significant online business. So it was really just around enhancing that. I think we, again, it was always the balance between the, um, between the, the, you know, the, the, the tech kind of solutions that we're having. And then also what are the, the people and the processes that go with that? So one of the things we did quite quickly is we, uh, we streamlined our menu because as we, you know, wanted to separate socially separate people within the, the back of house of our stores as much as possible. We obviously wanted to reduce headcount and and, uh, and and specifically people moving around in, in specific areas. So having a more uh, a more streamlined menu allowed us to obviously be able to facilitate this volume well and also to uh, to have more effective, efficient back of houses. And so we saw, I guess, the the combination of of those plus some of the tech side had, had quite significant in, uh, improvements in our in our kind of customer scores and sentiments. We saw probably a twenty, more than twenty point jump in, in overall satisfaction during this time, um, and something that that's maintained that we've maintained since then. It really just, you know, shows that that once you speak to the core tenant of trust in this regard, it was resonating with uh, with our customers quite significantly. Absolutely. Um, so thinking about uh, those behaviors, thinking about those initial customer behaviors, how they changed and how they've sort of you know, stayed with us, especially fortunately here in America, we're seeing this happen for quite a lot longer than we wanted it to. Um, you know, it takes, as I'm sure you've seen that stat, you know, 30 days to create a new habit. And then, you know, you, you've sort of permanently changed the way that you do things. Are we thinking that there's any customer behaviors that are going to permanently change as we sort of continue on into this new normal. Um, things will open back up. I know in Europe, things are, are opening back up. We're slowly sort of here and there, you know, doing outdoor things here. But curious from your perspective, if you think there's any consumer behaviors that will have permanently shifted. Mm, that's the, the multi-million or billion dollar <laughs> question, right? I mean, it's conjecture at best, but I think that there's, there's a couple of things that I see. One is... Um, at some stage, the, the, the kind of concern slash fear will start to erode, right? will start to, to decrease, right? Whether this is, uh, you know, infection rates decrease or, or uh, you know, um, vaccine arrives, et cetera. I mean, there will come a stage when there will be less and less concern about being out in public and being around other people. And when that happens, all the processes or steps that have been put in place are going to be tested severely because... If, if you're not concerned about, uh, about uh, getting ill, then, you know, you probably wouldn't have much appetite for disruption, right? Standing, standing a meter apart, waiting your turn to go into a supermarket becomes a lot less. There's no, there's no value in that any longer because it's not serving a purpose. So I think very quickly, the, the, the changes that we've made collectively as an industry and, and broader, the, the changes that we've made that, that really reduce friction and make things easier for customers. And like we were talking about that advancement in technology and those are going to stay. I mean, they, if it's easier to order on your own device than talk to somebody else, then it's going to stay, right? If it's easier to use a virtual drive-through than to walk into a store, it's probably going to stay. So I think that's the that's the uh, the lens that we use, and we, we tried to adopt that fairly fairly early on to say, 
what is the what is the investments or the, the advancements that we can make now that is going to make us stronger coming out of this and that we would that we would hold on to and the, and the answer every time seemed to be around uh, you know the more friction we can remove the way if we can make something easier for a customer that's that's going to probably stay you know i mean in terms of do customers want to continuously talk to people through through uh, you know glass separators etc and 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 take some of these other more precautionary measures i think there will come a time when that will be of less value to customers and we'll probably see them go away and i guess the other one i, I would say and I, the, there's a bit of a question mark around this is what what role does cash play going into the future right hugely yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a it's a key question because we've obviously been largely cashless as a as a society. I would say for the last six months, um, and because people just didn't want to handle it, and and we want to keep our team members safe, etc. And that allows us to do a lot of things. You know, more the more uh, kind of uh, you know cloud or tech based transactions we can do, etc. Allows us more flexibility in how we do order fulfillment, etc. It'll be interesting to see um, whether there is a, a consumer call for for cash again in the future. Absolutely, I t I totally agree with that. Though I'm seeing my other one of my other events that I run is about the the future of the bank branch specifically, and we're yeah. still we're holding on to our cash. <laughs> it's crazy yeah. to hear from them the um, you know executives that that work at banks, the amount of people that. Um, really needed to go to the drive-thru because they just really needed that cash. You know what I mean? There was lines at some of the branches where, you know, people couldn't go in, into their branch and out all the way out the, out onto the highway, you know, people needing to get that cash. So mm. people are, people are holding on to it, but I think this, you know, the, the safety of it, the handling of it, I think that will have, you know, that will have shifted. It'll be interesting. You're totally right to see where that, where that all goes. And I suspect um, industry would, would want to see it. I mean, industry would, would want to meet a customer need, but if we had a choice, it would probably be to, to have less cash due to, you know, all the, the, the points that go along with it. So it, it will be, like you say, very interesting. Especially with food service, you know. <laughs> I yeah. think that, that definitely makes a big difference too. Yeah. Um, so last question I wanted to talk about, uh, thinking specifically now that we've talked about, you know, what, customer behavior is kind of going to look like, you know, we've made some, some guesses as to what's going to stick around. How are, you know, the folks watching as CX executives, CX professionals, um, how do the institutions need to change and evolve with, you know, this, this coming change? I think we've seen these quick changes, which is really interesting. I think we've seen that industries, as we were talking about before, can move faster, have the ability to pivot in ways where, you know, in the past, it might have taken a year, two years for them to make a, a decision or invest in a new technology. Um, so maybe that's one way that institutions are going to change being a little bit more flexible, able to pivot. Um, but curious if there's any other ways that you think, uh, you know, especially in the CX world and the CX space, uh, folks should be trying to to change or adjust to these new behaviors. Yeah, good question. I, I, you're right. Like, what is the most seismic change that's going to happen in the in the industry, or or, or or just in terms of consumer behavior? I guess is where I'll start on that. Mm -hmm. You know, when we looked historically, like if you were just look at um, you know 9/11, right when when all those images of, of you know, uh, first responders running into, into building, uh, buildings that were on fire, burning buildings, it really, it was a big event and it, it really informed and shaped a lot of, a, a lot of uh, you know, perception and values, right? I mean, people became 
people saw a lot of value in, in, in altruistic behaviors and serving others, and, and, and that all came out of that, right? And if you were to look at, I guess, um, another example, potentially the 2007-8 uh, you know, financial crisis and meltdown, and this again informed and changed opinions and values, and and there was you know distrust came in you know more distrust was seen to to bigger corporations potentially, um, and kind of young smaller disruptive type businesses started to come out, and you know these big world events seem to have quite uh, quite big impacts, and it's difficult to look at this and not see it in the same in the same light that it's going to have some seismic change uh, going forward. Absolutely. What does that seismic change look like? I think, again, is the question, because if you can answer that, you can answer what needs to change, right? Um, but I think, you know, apart from some of the smaller ones that, like, clearly offices are not going to fulfill the same role that they were in the past, you know, I mean, the world's proved effectively that they can work quite uh, quite re- well remotely. But I think there's probably, from a, an, an emotional point of view, I think the, the consumer one, it, it always, for me, comes back to trust. You know, people have you know, how do they feel safe during this time? Um, and, and the, you know, the, the fear of something similar happening again, et cetera, and, 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 and all of that disruption, I think that the trust in being able to feel safe is, is probably going to be a key, a key part of this. And how you answer that is, is significant. I also think that it's probably, it's probably going to intersect with something that was on its way anyway. And, you know, when we see that, that, uh, you know, what is it, Gen Z, that's probably, you know, information at the moment, you know, this this is a generation that spends the majority of its, you know, far more than any other uh, generation online. Their life is spent online, and it's um, it's not a happy place, right? I mean, this is you know, it's a constant. Uh, all the data was showing said it's a it's an environment that you're constantly judged, right? The number of likes, number of shares, comments, etc. And it's you know, this the data was also showing us that this is the generation that's probably the most uh, isolated and and actually unhappy, which is a little scary, right? And at some stage, the the pushback and blowback to that is going to come because people will refuse to live their lives like this continuously, right? And then again, brands that can give an authentic and honest, a safe type of experience, I think are going to be well situated um, to give what is going to be a very big growing need to not feel that way, but to feel, you know, to feel feel safe and to feel um, connected with a brand or an experience that's, that's trustworthy, right? So each way that I that I look at this and, and we look at it internally, it seems that you know being being a you know and being able to deliver an experience that 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 somebody can trust and you know whether it's the whether it's how we use their data, whether it's you know how we keep data safe, whether it's how we interact, uh, you know, the tonality, it's around what the experience looks like. Like an example would be the way that we measure our guest experiences, be it you know overall satisfaction or, or net promoter score. At some stage when that backlash comes against that constant monitoring of how many likes, how many dislikes, it will be very difficult to get this generation to buy into those score metrics. And it's probably going to have to be more around how are you progressing against the goal of, of, of purpose than it is around, you know, like, you know, you've got a net promoter score of 65 or 42 or whatever it is. So I guess it's a little bit of a theoretical answer and, and a lot will come out, I think, as we go forward. But, but clearly, you know, the trust and how, how the entire brand positioning and experience is, under, is underpinned by trust is, is just going to become more and more important and, and a kind of authentic voice and experience. Absolutely. I, you know, we've been talking about at NextGen, specifically the conference for the past couple of years, I've been trying to get someone to talk about how they've been trying to connect 
an emotional experience with the consumer, how you measure that, what that looks like. And I think, you know, trust may finally be that sort of link in between those, those two things. That's been something we've been trying to, to crack, trying to talk about, and maybe this will have been that, that, you know, moment that will push that forward. But that's really interesting to think about that generation of, um, you know, Gen Z really measuring themselves based on, on, likes and and what that's going to look like and wanting that sort of safe space because you know a lot of people are are sort of unhappy that's very interesting very upsetting for for that future generation but um interesting to to know and to think about going forward so i think that's a that's huge awesome Well, David, thank you so much for for joining us this morning. This has been a fantastic conversation and I think will be, uh, you know, really useful for for the audience Some great takeaways here on, you know, what we can be thinking about as as CX professionals going forward in this moment as we head into fall um, from the spring start of of our pandemic into, um, you know, a completely different era. So I think this will be a great you know, start to, to our summit. So I want to thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, and we're going to move on to, to our next session, but David, thank you so much for, for joining us. Thanks for having me.